Well, so one of the reasons why this um, this whole thing that we've gone through feels like it took the world by surprise instead of it was uh, ma manifest into being by agents is because on one level, it really communicated and illustrated like the deep flaws in our society uh, regarding um, inequality and also like Alan, you mentioned this where uh, certain segments of population are more prone to death than others. And that likely has something to do with deep seated inequality. And then also the environment and how unsustainable our lives have become. And so it, it seems like my daydream is that somehow this would be the pause where we could rethink how we live and perhaps find a different way. So like, uh, it's super scary because if our whole economy falls apart, um, you know, what do we have on the other side of this? But, you know, what if our whole economy was bogus anyway? And that we could create better, more sustainable, or more uh, nourishing structures for everyone. Like that would be the the really exciting thing. That there's like that's the hope that I see through this. Um, I, I, this was part of you and I's conversation last week, Alan. Where for a while, Will and I on Forty Two Minutes were were playing this game where every year was the the tarot card, and so it was really interesting that. Uh, somehow, I always forget, but I, is the 16th card, it's got to be the tower card, right? Yeah, 16th yeah. tower. Yeah, and so, like, there's just this connection with Trump and the tower, and they're, like, so together. And so, for me, like, this is part of the, the Godstruck's tower's collapse, that, you know, this is the... the, 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 the dark night of the soul, and that hopefully when we get to the star card and and have hope that we're actually led somewhere that we want to go, I guess is like the, the empowerment that I'm seeking, but you know, whether or not that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what I want. But um, if there's like a narrative that's being put upon us, then, then I don't know that I have any power in that arena or world. Well, just, to follow that formula, that means um, 19 would have been the sun, even though we're getting corona this year. But 20 is uh, judgment, which is like rapture. But Alan, 19, yeah. the COVID-19 oh, is when oh, it yeah. started. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. So I'm, I'm trying to support, I was going to say, uh, 20 is judgment, which is like rapture and dead rising from the grave. So it makes sense we'd have our sort of zombie apocalypse or a dry run of it anyway. <laughs> Judgment Day fully, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just I want to come in on that because I was thinking about this a lot lately. The Eon card uh, in the Crowley deck and the in the Thoth Tarot and, and there there's a sense of um you know the birth of the new Eon, right? Um, the Eon Horus. And I think that we're seeing this shock that we've seen um, over the course of really a short period of time. It, it, there's been a drastic change to our way of life, and I think we're um, 
we, we are going to be forced to confront the technological shifts that have been happening under the surface slowly for the last 20 years, but it's almost like the rug gets pulled. You, know, you set the table, you have the tablecloth, and then in that instant, it's pulled. And um, we're now in this new eon, right? Zoom, technology, social distancing. I imagine these technocratic structures that will be in place, right? We're, and so we're going to have to navigate them. Um, so I think there's a kind of rebirth. The other thing is like the idea of being in a apocalypse. You mentioned it, Alan. But um, so anyhow, I just want to say that. But the other thing about the grounding. Yeah, I mean, you know, I love what, what Joe said. I think that's right on. Um, I mean, you know, and I think we always to me, like there's questions of self-care, self-care and healing that are kind of independent completely from this. But that this situation has has made their practice of pr a primary importance because of the the crisis and the news and the shock and the isolation. Like I found, I really have to be diligent and vigilant about about my self care and mental health practices. You know, and for me, meditation it's a big part of that. Vipassana meditation. Um, one other thing I wanted just to say was like just to go back a little bit um the narrative like i believe so i'm a i'm i might sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist but that's only one of the narratives that i kind of hold and i do think there's a lot of validity to it but you know i i'm also in the camp that a lot of this was faded by forces that are way greater than the human force that this is kind of a collective cycle that's embedded in our structures of our reality and it was unavoidable and you know so but to me that's not mutually exclusive to actors and agents being a part of bringing it in, into force, you know, and as an astrologer, and not to get too much into it, but there's bigger cycles I can tell you right now that have, that have hit right, right at this time. People have been talking about it for a long, long time. And so, you know, I just want to clarify, I mean, I'm not saying there's one, uh, one Mr. Globalist, one globalist. <laughs> there's a guy, uh, there's a, there's a, some of these online people, I don't, I won't name them, but there's some real popular like alternative thinkers and they have this idea of Mr. Globalist. That's the name they give to this kind of group. Of is, is that not, um, I, I heard Chris Knowles and what's, uh, Gordon White talking about that. Is that coming from Gordon White or that's not their phrase? No, it's uh, so I'll say it's it's a uh, who's the woman Kristen Austin Fitz, Catherine Austin mm. Fitz, and Joseph Farrell. I think that really comes from there, and it, they've been talking to Mister Globalist for a while. I don't study their work and everything they do, but I've tapped in enough to know. But I think it's their it's their term, Mister Globalist, Catherine Austin Fitz, and Joseph Farrell. Um, uh, they use it quite a, quite a lot, and I think uh, Gordon White. I think he's interviewed Catherine Austin Fitz some, so I think he maybe gets it. From that, but I, I could be wrong. That's just my guess there, Alan. Um, sure, sure, sure. I, I appreciate, in, you know, insight whether or, or, or saying you don't know. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was some they did an interview right when this all started that basically was like, well, one thing we can say for certain is that Mr. Globalist is done. That they said this was the, the nail in the coffin of globalism. And in one respect, there's, uh, Hey, Guillaume, thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, uh, it's supposed to be a night. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in one respect, there is the some accuracy of that. As I said, like you see the counter to globalism is this nationalism. And here in the United States, we're seeing this really hard shift towards the right. I mean, not only is are the Trump 
gangs totally reinvigorated in just the last few weeks. And we, again, you know, what is not just the protests, but I mean, what are like the, oh, just like the vitriol and the, the this, everything feels like reinvigorated for them to be as toxic as possible. But also everything has shifted to the right. I mean, you're, like I said, the mainstream conversation is now your, your run of the mill Democrat is supporting shutting down the border, is supporting, you know, even if it's just like supporting Biden or anything like that, like the whole thing has shifted very much in a right wing direction, which I would have expected a, a health crisis and financial crisis. We would have seen some more radicalization on the left, but that as that seems to be pretty well smothered. Um, so this idea of like the, the death of Mr. Global was that, okay, everyone's going to fracture back up as we saw, you know, your Brexits and your uh, Trump and uh, companies pulling out of China, if anyone wants to speak to that. Uh, so this idea of like the global experiment was failing. And then at the same, but what doesn't make sense to me is at the same time, many of these same conspiracy theorists are saying this is the end game global agenda is happening right now right your bill gates so and and so on so on it's happening right now the thing we've been worried about for years and years and years and years we've been telling you this is coming this is it this is the moment this is the hammers falling and i i want to ask something else i've been thinking about the same way of like not trusting the data Hey, New York Times says these numbers, and uh, oh, you know, again, we could see how we want to bend numbers in different directions for different uh, narratives and all that sort of stuff. In the same way, I, I don't. I think a lot of the conspiracy guys, uh, the different narratives, and the like, assured. This, I know what's happening. All the people who came out in the last month and said, this is it, it's 5G, this is it, it's XYZ, this is it, it's whatever. How do they <laughs> shake out of this? Do you know what I mean? Um, if you... do, Is there still a a following for... Catherine Austin Fitz or whomever, if the if Mr. Global dies, I'm just going to use that as like a really random example. Since that's where we were, does anyone want to speak to any of that? Um. Just to say before, uh, there's a Doug. I know you're going to come in here right away, but just to say, there's a debate on that call. I think Gordon White was saying Mr. Global dies, and then uh, they, one of the the other guests was saying, "No, this is going to invigorate." So there is this debate. Just to just to th and you're and you're uh, elucidating it very articulately there, Alan. I definitely have thoughts. Thank you, because I feel like I'm struggling to find words. Thank you. Yeah, Doug, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you. I saw you were jumping in there. I'm gonna go to defer to you. I I don't know that I have anything. I when Alan was talking, it's just. It's like this this left brain, right brain divide that I always struggle with is that we want to live in a world of certainty, but there's a part of me that knows that life is a mystery at the same time. And so I'm not, I mean, uh, and that doesn't speak to Alan's question at all. I think it doesn't matter what happens, Alan. The people who can command an audience will always command an audience and they'll be able to spin it however they want to say, oh, oh, of course, uh, 
foiled again by Mr. Globalist. He he did this this trick and thought the end was here and we were ready for the end game, but they decided that the end game needed to be in 33 years. You know, it seems like Trump can say whatever he wants, and the next oh, day he, he he can walk it back. <laughs> oh. It doesn't matter if if you can do that, then you know you're going to be fine. But it so is I, interesting. I think- because so you've been really committed to this Tara Reid story, and so some would say maybe you're trolling them with that story. But are you aware? Are you aware of the, the latest? Uh, no, news? no, no. I mean, I, I read that what you posted, and so every time there's a new detail that adds more credibility, it's super damning because it's like, what's going to happen? Are they going to like? Is there too much momentum in the? in the national thing to say, fuck it, we don't care, or will they actually take this serious? Like, that's what's really fascinating to me. Yeah. And uh, what my, my concern is that Trump, Trump uses that as a finishing move. You know, he's just waiting until closer to November, and then he can make a really big deal out of it. Um, which is exactly hit the point of, like, he can do whatever he wants, because right. he, he's got 50 of these, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. People are going to be like, how are you accusing this guy of sexual assault? You have sexual assault allegations. You're like, whatever. <laughs> and the next fine. And no one gives a shit. There's such a playbook of shout this, you know, shout all these accusations and then just step away. And now you've left your opponent just grappling with that. Um, that's That's what I'm trying to, I think for anyone who is concerned about Trump winning this election, that has to be a concern of yours that, like, it really weakens your position of having um, a a Democratic win. Just, just, I just want, uh, I'm going to say that, and I don't, I am, I know that can be a contentious, like, you know, any election, electoral politics can get really contentious really fast, but I just... I feel more than anything, my goal has to, to address the idea of trolling. My goal has not been to troll. It has been like, I feel like I'm shouting into the abyss of like, hey, do, do, don't you, like your, your strategy's really bad here. <laughs> you know, like if you're, 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 you're if, the, if the goal is to get rid of Trump, this is a horrendous strategy to go with this guy. And here's the weaknesses, here's the blind spots, please address this now, is what I've been trying to do. I really haven't been trying to troll. I've been trying to, like, grab people by the shoulders and be like, hey, <laughs> this is, we're going we're gonna to get four more years of Trump like this. Like, that's what's going to happen. Can I uh, come back in here? Uh, this Because this is um, really interesting to me. And if we want to turn this to more of, like, hope, and I like this where we're going here, like, what's the hope? It's, it's what's, you know, I think it's always good. You know, you talk about self-talk as being essential to coping, but I also think that it's always like, where is the egress? Where is the hope? You know, and I'm seeing uh, with some of, and if we want to go politics, like the political people I follow, like Jimmy Dore, this guy, Jimmy Dore, he's kind of his internet personality. Um, but his show basically after Biden, um, uh, you know, took over on Super Tuesday. I, I personally just think that they sent in the computer programmers and Biden was a foregone conclusion. 
but, but his show has turned completely to direct action. Can like you old, can you say that? Can you uh, you're cut out there? Can you say that sentence again? You think what was a foregone conclusion? Oh, did Biden? I don't believe so. I have no faith in the electoral process. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't think he. Uh, yeah, that's I don't think Biden. Yeah, they just put the computer programmers in Diebold. It was all brand new Diebold machines, and yeah. and then they ran. They ran a simultaneous operation to act like to give him momentum in the narrative, and then it was a foregone conclusion, right? That Biden. What, but setting wait, all that so aside, what was what was the what was the net? What was that? Because that's that's the missing piece for me. You know, that is an unprecedented political surge without there being some like major thing happens. Well, I don't was, think so, Alan. I think you have it backwards. It wasn't that everyone coalesced around biden i think everyone coalesced around rejecting bernie like if you want to talk mm -hmm. about like power the the people in charge of the party and then also the folks the movers and the shakers they're like oh my god bernie's gonna get to be president we're so freaked out about the idea of this we need to just choose the the milk coast yeah, and just to say what, what just to, I mean, I wanted to make a, one other additional point. So I, this politics stuff, it's just like it's we can it's so it's so um, it can be so like demanding of attention. Sure, right? sure. Uh, but I was just making the point that if you're going to steal an election using voting machines, OK, you can't just do it bald without running cover in the media so that it's plausible when you do it. And so that's what I believe happened is that they stole it because you can look at the exit polls during Super Tuesday. And I don't even want to go off on this, but just to, to complete the thought there, Alan, the exit polls on Super Tuesday, the few that they even allow, they've cut out that because they know you can't have honest exit polls and let the computers steal elections because that doesn't work. So it's very hard to get exit poll data, but there's still like one or two services that trickle that data. They were off by like sometimes as much as 10% against bernie they're always off against bernie and i'm not a bernie fan just by the way okay but but i certainly would have supported him in that in that process and it, it, my support's irrelevant to the point i'm making but clearly the bernie uh the, the the machines spit out voting tallies that did not align with the exit polls by a, such a large margin that it's way beyond what the un considers um fair when it does election checking all over the world okay so i think that was happening mm -hmm. but you can't do that unless you run a psychological operation in the media so everybody goes yeah that's right yeah everybody just rallied around him yeah okay you got us yeah let's support joe but let's just set all that aside. my the one thing of hope i wanted to say and was that i think that there's going to be a lot of direct activism which to me is real change it's palpable change and i've been seeing a lot of discussion about labor organizing like really getting into the experts that know how to organize labor across all industries and i think there's some promise here there's some silver lining in what we're going through that as the economy crashes as people lose faith in the elections that maybe we're going to start seeing like real labor finally in our lifetimes like no we're not going to work fuck you jeff bezos make us you know and then maybe there can be some victories won in terms of policy to give workers more health care you know just get to share the wealth right so that's one silver lining piece i just wanted to throw that out there and i support the labor movement i want people to strike if they can't you know whatever it takes you know whatever it takes one more question uh, in terms of when I said, does the 
person who was screaming 5G global lockdown or, or you know, or, or, you know, not, not to say those are the same thing. Is the person saying 5G? Is the person saying final global lockdown? Is the person saying X, Y, Z? Do they lose credibility after this? Doug, your point was, um, hey, Trump can say whatever the fuck he wants. And that that is absolutely true. And there are guys like, God, uh, Alex Jones, uh, Webbada, Cliff High, um, David Wilcox, you know, and anywhere on the spectrum from conspiracy to new age who make predictions, the predictions don't come true and they don't lose any followers. And that is that is a phenomenon that is not new. We see that with, you know, different uh, quote unquote profits over the years. Right. But I so I've been making this 2020 series and literally the episode that I'm up to is the 2012 end of the world story. And. I've been thinking a lot, so like I literally was in that headspace when coronavirus happens and all this sort of stuff, and as I'm watching things play out, I'm unable to separate the work that I'm currently like, you know, trying to script and what's happening around me. I see this correlation, and I would love any insight of any, how does anyone feel of like, to the best of my mind, there was a sort of conspiracy trajectory that comes out of your um, loose change and your zeitgeist and all these like really big, you know, movies and this sort of activist movements and all this sort of stuff. Then Obama wins 2008. There's and then suddenly it again, it wasn't global lockdown. Obama wasn't the Antichrist. And you saw that conspiracy dip back under the radar. Um, and I, I'm I'm just going to go through some of my materialists and say, like, you, in 2009, um, Alex Jones's uh, Obama deception movie, total fucking flop. Um, this narrative sort of goes quiet. And instead, we have this sort of surge in this new age movement. It's this hope. And there's this suddenly, you know, Terrence McKenna's everywhere. And, you know, Daniel Pinchbeck and all these guys who were trying to promote this psychedelic enlightenment, and all these sorts of things. And... Then at the end of 2012, suddenly these guys, many of them are irrelevant. And some of them have kept their audience, but many of them are irrelevant at this point. And so I'm struggling with trying to figure out, like, I feel like there is a like a thinning of the herd, if you will. If right now there's 75, po- you know, at the beginning, if you asked me a month ago, I have 75 different conspiracy theories and 75 different mainstream thing you know like it's like literally no one knows what the fuck's happening so everyone's speculating oh in the beginning it's like mainstream news we heard vitamin c might be great and then later it's like oh actually we don't want to suggest that or whatever um the stories as the data comes in are constantly shifting the the problem i have is for the 75 people who were so damn sure and who said i guarantee you the world's going to end on december 21st 2012 or the people who said, I guarantee you, 5G is happening, we're all going to die. My my question is, how, how does this... I would love it if you guys wanted to take a stab at that 2012 angle of it. If Just give me some additional perspective. But does anyone have anything to say about that? I always have something to say. <laughs> I can... Uh... 
and uh, yeah, I'll jump in here. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating question. I really like this idea of tracing kind of the dialogue and the collective and these and what is popular and what what falls by the wayside and, and what is it, you know, why and asking ourselves why and just a few quick thoughts. I do think that 2020 to me feels much more like a, a, a way less um, exposed um, as like a popular uh, idea. I mean, because even back then it was amongst a fringe, you know, I mean, 2012, I mean, it was not something that I could go to my job and, you know, some that people might have heard of it, but it wasn't like now where this is all anybody could talk about. And it's been turned, the TVs have been turned off. It's a global focus on this one event, mainstream, alternative media, just like you say, all medias are talking about this event. 2012 didn't have that component. Um, I will say that I think um, on the idea of the conspiracy community, I mean, just a little bit of my perception of it. So I loved the Obama deception, by the way. I thought that was one of his best films. I thought that for Jones, I mean, I'm from Austin. I was into Alex Jones for a long time. I trace Alex Jones's sort of, I think he was either bought out from the beginning or that he sold out sometime around 2012, 2013, 2014 in preparation for the Trump presidency because his whole tenor changed around that time he used to be absolutely who, didn't yeah he was he be and it's right around the time of actually um red ice remember because that was right before uh, the Boise i know it too well i know it too yeah. well. that's and this so, is my this is the material i plan on covering in the fifth and final episode of 20 of my series but yeah sorry so I, yeah yeah no, that's I'm, okay I'm right no, there yeah, and so something happened where his whole, he used to be, and you can find videos on YouTube, it's like he used to be way more, like, truly, a, like, libertarian and, and way more skeptical of all government, Republican, Democrat, way more skeptical of narratives of national security, police state, military, industrial complex narratives. Basically, he shifted and, bas and became a mouthpiece for the Trump candidacy, and that part, that, that side of the government that's in power now, that, that narrative. He became their spokesman, right? Drudge was part of that. Now, Drudge sold oh, I, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but you know what I just thought of? I just thought of, okay, uh, sorry, I'm just going to write this down. Um, so basically, when Bloomberg starts running, it was a really, like, it became this sort of joke that Bloomberg was trying to buy up every, like, meet social influencer, Right? Hey, I'll pay you to make a meme about me. Right. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? Like, that was a that was a fucking yeah. huge story. That was his it's whole strategy was I'm gonna buy up as much social influence as I can. I mean, is it so hard to think that Trump's? And I mean, maybe it's SJ, you and I, this is obvious, but to say, I didn't realize that the. Bloomberg example is a it's just a prime in your face example of what I believe Trump's strategy was of buying out the that sort of alternative media angle of the the, the red ice and your um, Alex Jones and all of that guy because I mean yeah I'm with you like I having my my eyes on that target as the script suddenly flipped it was it's in a it's a it's like it's so in, in your face. I'm like, oh, literally what he's saying from one day to the next has completely changed. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just, I just want to throw that Bloomberg angle into this of like, I, there's like a really solid modern example in, 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 that, that, was, that wasn't hidden. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's and it's I mean, and so but I want to just just to say here um, this other I question this other thing you raised about like, where are we now with coronavirus? And I think that splitting off when Alex Jones and some of the, and they're clear, they clearly were part of the, the power structure, were bought out or were part of the power structure. There were voices that clearly weren't that sort of kept that spirit. And whether you want to call it like they're true conspiracy theorists, or I just call it the spirit of inquiry and free, free humanity. Like these are people that really want kind of freedom. And these are people like James Corbett. He's, he's kept his strong voice. Uh, who's the guy he does media monarchy, James Evan Pilato. I know he did some stuff with SyncBook at one point. Those guys are just like true believers. They didn't change their tune. They have their principled, they, they have a critique from that same principled perspective. Those people still exist. And I mean, one other, so I, I think that those people will always be there. Those people will always continue. And I do think that there will be movements to resist like the oppressive exercise of state power, no matter where that comes into play. And right now it'll be around like this surveillance state that is installed to whatever extent it gets installed after coronavirus or in the name of coronavirus. There'll be more people that resist that, Democrats, Republicans, and there will be voices in the alternative that are true voices that will that will be speaking to that. So that's, I'm, I'm optimistic along those lines. I want to throw one other thing out here is the Joe Rogan phenomenon, because that's a big part of also another example of, I think, someone that had a clear change. But Joe Rogan didn't change, like, to support the Trump narrative. He kind of has changed, and now he's more of like this, I don't know, we can talk about what, what he became. But I do think, like, he started having people, like, um, just from the mainstream, you know, from more of like the, uh, what do we call them, the, the, the literati, the intelligentsia, but the people that are in power in America, like the, the, the powerful intelligentsia. So we'll have people from the New York Times, like who's that writer, um, that female writer. Uh, but basically mainstream ideas became injected into Joe Rogan and now sort of dominate his podcast with the occasional guy that talks about DMT or something like that. And, and um, I, you mean anything like Naomi, Naomi Wolf or? No, it's it's a Barry Weiss. She's a New York uh, Times writer, Barry Weiss, who's basically kind of like a, a Democratic, what, what I'll call the, 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 I call them the neoconservatives in the Democratic Party, the neoconservatives that control and run the Democratic Party. And I mean that from a policy perspective, people like Joe Biden that supported the Iraq war, that supported the seven wars in seven years that Obama did, you know, that expansion of the military industrial police state into, to, you know, the Middle East and these other places. This is a Democratic Party kind of old standard. This is what they are about. And then, you know, so anyhow, that's those are the people that Joe Rogan seems to have transitioned his conspiracy audience into kind of this, this, um, I don't know these I, this idea set. So, but, oh, go, go ahead if you have something else you want to say. I was just I was just I was just saying so like this idea. I'm just hopeful because I I think there are real voices out there, people that like I said, want just mm. freedom, like want people to thrive, you know, and 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 so I'm I'm actually quite optimistic with this, Alan, that there'll be something that survives, like a worthwhile alternative counter narrative. It's just called alternative media. I love that. Not alt right, just alternative mm -hmm. media. Well, right. So alt is alternative, but it, are you alt right? Is is something very back explicitly to this, something back else? Back to that question, Alan. So my my 
feeling was when you have something to put your energy into, you know, the container. And so 2012 was that container where for whatever reason, it brought out maybe the hopefulness in people. I, I don't know. So like, I'm, I'm kind of maybe this is like a backwards interpretation of what was going on, but maybe also my own headspace. And so my own experience with it is after 2012, there was kind of this strange dissolution of the sync community as a whole, where the, the pleasure or the, you know, just the whole practice started falling apart for some reason. Like after we passed that point, for whatever reason, people didn't have the same interests. And so, but there were also things that were happening, like Facebook became more prominent and this and that. Um, but it seemed like people still need to believe in something. And those channels that have the audience that you're talking about the tone change, it's like what you could believe in after this, this dud of a end of the world 2012 was uh, power maybe, you know, and that's why um, people got alt-righty tribal or whatever you want to say you know it's like what do i believe in uh let's get fundamental i very much see a correlation that exactly like hey you you were offered you were offered a conspiracy end game like literally alex jones made so i i'm sj you'd probably be interested in this i have a document that i've been working on over the last year which is like okay what were the main like the okay, you guys remember there was a point where Loose Change comes out in 2005. That was the film of 2005. If you were on the internet and in any way in conspiracy realm, that was like your internet blockbuster, right? I'm um, using Vanity Fair's phrase, but that there were a series of these. Joe, I feel like you and I had this conversation a while back when it was like we there was a just sort of a, if you're paying attention to conspiracy culture and just online culture over the last you know 12 years or so 15 years excuse me uh, how does that that there were these shining moments where like everyone was talking about zeitgeist and in uh you know more recently you had that like um hitler greatest story documentary and things like that was like the thing that everyone talked about that year or whatever so i made a spreadsheet and i put all those like the the biggest most viral sort of things these these docu internet documentaries and whatnot and to what year i also made a separate column for like what were the world events okay different like big big notes there and then also for like major theatrical releases like what were like what were the conversations pieces of a, a mainstream audience so what's the theatrical moment what's the world moment and what is the online documentary saying and i i gotta say like i see like such a clear pattern by spreading you know writing it out that way so in 2009 use obama deception uh jones had a second film released right around the same time i forget what that was called um but he he was on a he was on a run when i say it's a flop is to say 
you can track he did um uh, all these different different films but he's his profile rises 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 i would say he peaked in 2007 with endgame okay and then in 2009 he makes obama deception and the reason i say it's a flop is because that was like it's it's a it misses the it misses the mark it, it and i and he doesn't produce anything of of note after that um i do think that was a, a breaking point for him but here's what else happens you mentioned joe rogan 2009 same year as obama deception the joe rogan podcast launches and that jesse ventura conspiracy theory tv show starts the same year 2009 that all happens ventura's show by the way runs from 2009 till 2012 um, the films that come after that, um, everything is a remix, uh, Scott Onstott, Secrets in Plain Sight, um, even, uh, Chimatica, which was a little more like of the esoterica, the winged beetle that like Paul is dead conspiracy theory comes out 2010, um, mainstream DMT spirit molecule, you know, a quote unquote mainstream exit to the gift shop, all the banks, he said, like, there's a clear switch of what we're paying attention to, to these more abstract concepts. Um, the only real conspiracy theory that comes out in that time frame, 2011, we get the third Zeitgeist film, but that's the third Zeitgeist film. Is that like a major game changer? No. Um, even uh, Samsara, the Baraka sequel, gets made in 2011. Uh, what does happen, though, is that your conspiracy stuff goes offline and in 2010 you had trump's birth certificate thing that's where that starts so right around the same time basically while the the, the film stopped being made the sort of in the street activism starts your trump birthers we also have WikiLeaks, chelsea manning uh 2011 occupy wall street do you know what i mean like there's a there isn't there's an act it's it switches but the films don't get made 2012 the only online like really thing like that um i pet goat came out in 2012 room 237 came out in 2012 uh to talk to your point um doug about like where was sync at this time uh and then in technically that hitler documentary came out 2013 but it didn't really gain traction right away uh there's a film called everything is a rich man's trick um 2015 biggest online film at that point i would say is probably kung fury like that was like an internet phenomenon but it's nothing to do with any of this stuff uh joe's back to the future video does very well in 2015 um but there's a uh, 2014 same year that hitler documentary becomes prominent is the same year as ferguson um i don't know uh, I, I, again, I, I could share this document with anyone who's interested, but it, it looking at these, like, it's sort of, it's easier for me to see a trajectory when I look at it this way. And um, uh, that, that, so this is coming at it from a very, like, rational d data standpoint. Uh, before I forget, I did want to ask, particularly Joe, if you don't mind, I want to ask you a question. I asked you this a few weeks ago, we talked. And your film, you bring up the Jake Kotzian Stargate and the idea that, okay, everyone on 9-11, everyone around the globe focuses on one event 
and waters how does that ripple through time um how does that like how does that what does that mean from a consciousness perspective even like you know like the studies have been done about transcendental meditation or things like that. it's like everyone's focusing on one thing now this year i feel like that's on such a bigger scale of everyone having one subject for one whole month or basically 40 days right quarantine 40 days 40 days of if this is what the conversation is this is where your head is at this is global meditation on this subject for a month so i think we talked about how uh after 9 11 there was all these examples of like oh did back to the future predict 9 11 did um the matrix predict 9 11 did x files etc 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 the fact that that was a whole thing i think joe you and i had a conversation like for sure there's going to be this about coronavirus and we've seen it to a certain extent with like there's a few video game examples. There's, um, I saw like some Korean drama um, that had talked about this and different things like that. Uh, but I'm curious, I, I feel very confident that we will see more of those quote unquote predicted coronavirus. I think that's just inevitable because um, this is such a big thing. But the other side of that is from the sort of Katian stargate focus, you know, is equals new reality perspective. I'm really curious, do you think this is, are we all focused on fear for 40 days and what does that create? Or do you see this as a, a basically a just, you know, a descent into the underworld where it's like, yeah, we did focus a lot on fear, but it's also like taking the time to get our shit together and think through some stuff. And do you see this as a, maybe a, a chance at redoing some of that 9-11 or 2012 ma magic. Uh, yeah, I mean, my only answer would be offered very humbly because I don't have any real insights and it's all off the cuff. But uh, for me, I've kind of interpreted the 9-11 Stargate thing as a Stargate of human connection, which I don't want you to take it as like a, a lovey-dovey, like cliche thing again. But I mean more like, we're just having better relationships. And what that means is that we communicate the truth more quickly. And when people try to communicate narratives to us, we're able to pierce them more quickly because we can get the same narrative from multiple sources um, in a much shorter period of time. Like we really take that for granted in our lifetime, but there was most of human history where people took generations to get the story straight or even to get a different perspective. And then once that new perspective came, the original story that they heard was so ingrained in their way of life that they would reject it for another generation. So, I mean, we're talking like most of human history, it might've taken a few hundred years, you know, to change the direction of this giant moving ship, which is information. And, you know, like you said earlier, uh, Doug, I think maybe Doug said, or someone said it, that information is gold. And it's like, nowadays, we just take for granted the speed of information. And the reason that information is moving so fast is because we can get these different perspectives quickly. And that means that we're closer to the truth faster. And for me, like the advancement in our like spiritual being and our consciousness and, you know, everything that we derive meaning from and certainly everything that's like underlying the fundamental architecture of sync, it's all about truth and connecting with, you know, the true nature of the universe, whether that's mathematical or, you know, intangible spiritual stuff, whatever that is. And it's just that like with every global event, the fact that everybody can tune in to each other and get, um, let's say, 100 perspectives on the truth 
is a new exercise in um, transferring that like 100 years it takes to get the truth down to like, you know, two months or something. I mean, we're certainly not at two months yet, but you get, you get what I'm saying, that we're quickening the process. And I think if, if anything is a stargate, like of human consciousness, that's it. It's a quickening of getting to the truth. Like what a beautiful thing. Like we can get to the truth quicker on a global scale. And there's not just nations and cultures and certainly individuals all sitting in the dark for their entire lives, you know? And so that I think is totally aligned with how Jake was originally presenting it through media and pop culture and through like the screen, because we are getting to the truth through the screen and through television and through our like interconnectedness in, in the media and pop culture and through movie theaters and, and music. And I just to tie this all together with COVID, um, I just see this as, unfortunately, it's boring to say, but it's just the same thing. You know, it's just we are all getting to the truth quicker and we're doing it through television. And yeah, I, I could elaborate, but I think that's the gist of it. I hope that helps. I can jump in here and thanks for sharing all that, Joe. I think that's, yeah, I'm with you. I, um, this idea of truth to me, I think, is a super powerful thing. And I think it actually relates to what you were saying, Alan, about 2012 and sort of tracing this these kind of histories of the conspiracy movement or the non-conspiracy movement or whatever. But so, but just to say here, my, my thing on 2012, I think 2012 was actually real. I do think it's something happened at a right around that time. And I do trace it to the technological advancement. So like my personal story, I was someone who didn't carry a cell phone for a long time. I resisted it because I saw how damaging it was to my consciousness. Like I felt like the cell phone and even having internet in my house or having a, an internet connected device in my apartment, I would resist because I, I had such freedom when I would shut the door of my apartment and like and not being at a coffee shop or a library where I would be online and I, was, I would read and write a whole lot and I was really in, in, embedded in, in, in just these kind of things that I really get a lot of feed my soul you know and so it was like this war on this i saw it as an attempt to colonize my consciousness but i lost the battle you know because i gave way finally and then i decided at one point all right i've got to learn to live with this like this invasive force i just have to like keep writing when i can and keep reading the books i want to read and you know and i've done semi I, i'll give myself like a c minus to an f on winning that battle because of how powerful you've said this before alan that the internet is a drug it's just, it's the most psychedelic it's a, like the most psychedelic thing that there is i think i've heard you say that on some sync book shows so so anyhow i just want to say that that moment is where right around that time is when i sort of gave over to this to this the internet let's call it that i feel like that was also like the crescendo of sync in a way because the sync books came out and then that kind of flowered and then almost as soon as it flowered i feel like it sort of just maybe it was never set up to be like a sustaining thing in terms of like an institution i don't think it ever was i don't think that was you, you guys's intention but i do think that it suffered so this is the point i wanted to make as we all gave over around 2012 to the internet and this information kind of explosion of connectivity that I, that I think Joe was talking about, it's so powerful and so intense that like, I don't think we could handle it, frankly. 
and I think that there was forces that wanted to like twist it. I think that it's just our natural fear of like, oh my God, this is so intense of like, I can't do this. And so there was this fracturing into things like um, racial supremacy movements, racial nationalism. Like to me, that's a natural response to the intensity of these connections. It's like, I'm just going to shut off. I can't do it. And it makes sense that there, I mean, I don't support that. I unequivocally reject that and always have. But I mean, I'm just saying that, that this is a process of a shock to the system of the collective and it's going to take decades to integrate and you know um so the other thing i wanted to say here quickly is that um, i was thinking about this sync book was 2011 and the sync book two was around 2012 i'm not sure around right around that same time but 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 um so this is from the king kill 2020 king kill 33 essay they say that but the ultimate purpose of that assassination i wrote this down earlier today because i'm just these ideas are exactly the same in my mind. But the ultimate purpose of the, that assassination was not political, economic, but sorceress or the control of the dreaming mind and the marshalling of its forces. So the idea here is that the, it, the motive for the assassination was really about this kind of large scale mind manipulation. And then this is Dr. Rashid Buttar. He said this in an interview this week. This is an assault about COVID. This is an assault on global consciousness is what it is because they want to shut everybody down, shut them away. People are in separation or isolation and that's not good for the human psyche. I'm not saying that that's, you know, I just think that there's a relationship here between this kind of collective psychic event. And I want to just, the last thing I'll say here is that I'm, I think that the attempts to control the media on YouTube and on social media, they've all failed, guys. I mean, I can go onto Twitter right now and get anything I want. I can go onto YouTube and get anything I want. So I don't think, I think, I think we're kind of winning this idea of the information and the connectivity. I don't see that. And by one view, it's, in, it's unstoppable. They can't mm -hmm. stop it. So it's a very beautiful thing. You know? I do see, so as I said, I do feel like the internet is tighter. I could... I feel like, you know, Joe, like you say, like the Chinese firewalls and stuff like that. I, I just feel like the American Internet has gotten smaller in the last few years. I just I was too much of a. But again, it's also just changed how I use it. Right. So uh, and how most people use it. So if everything's getting filtered through Facebook, you might not need to do some draconian restriction of information. That information can still be out there. It's just like it's out of the algorithm out of all this stuff i think back to years ago when to for 9-11 i could watch a 9-11 documentary on youtube when it ended it would suggest another conspiracy video to me now i watch a 9-11 conspiracy video it has all these pop-ups saying this is false news and then at the end of it it redirects me to like ariana grande or something <laughs> you know ridiculous like what um so that there is there are those sorts of things um uh, what else? You, so you mentioned uh, the, the the trajectory I did put in the chat here. Sync book one, 2011. Sync book two, 2012. Room 237. I think officially came out 2012, but didn't have a theatrical release to 2013. I'm trying to remember that. And Back to the Future Predicts 9-11 was 2015. Oh, that was it. So there is, as you mentioned, these sort of like culminations of these kind of spiritual movements. So this is something Bill, David, and I used to talk about a lot, this idea, uh, this is Nietzsche's idea, that you have an Apollonian and a Dionysian energetic constantly sort of uh, waxing and waning. 
So what do we see? We see this sort of rise of the the, the bright, somewhat right wing sort of, um, you know, patriotic militia movement, libertarians, all that sort of stuff. I think very well intentioned in, in the early days, but still a similar energetic. And then you suddenly get uh, this flip over to Obama and this um, 2012 more new age. We're open to the psychedelics and spirituality and hope and all this sort of stuff. And then we kind of keep flipping back and forth between these things. You mentioned this uh, racial politics. And as I said, like there was Ferguson 2014, you have um, around that same time that Hitler documentary comes out, obviously Trump and all that bullshit. Um, but I think it's important to note that in King Kill 33, which is a document I have studied intensely, and SJ, I would love to have a whole conversation with you about that subject at some point, is to I've studied that very well. I even got to interview um, Adam Gorightly and um, ask him his to to get his perspective on it um, in the sense that I'm sure, as you you see, they don't hide it in the King Kill 33 document. They make lots of comments like derogatory comments towards like Mexicans, um, Mexicans. Everything, even Catholics. Oh no, he's or he's pro-Catholic. Um, definitely a lot of like anti-Semitic statements. Uh, Michael A. Hoffman, the co-author of that, has written extensively. He's a pretty shitty racist guy. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. He he has done a lot of like his other writings outside of that document are fucking nasty. Um, and um, so I, I asked Adam Gorightly. I was like, Hey, do you think that's all Michael Hoffman is that some Shelby Downer, like where, where is that sort of coming in? And he, he came from the, the perspective that most of that was Hoffman's racism and whatnot, but that Downer obviously uh, wasn't too opposed to it, um, but that he, he didn't, he never got that out of him. Um, just whatever that's worth. I do think it's interesting that these things seem to have that component, maybe because it's just, it's the most basic tribalistic animalistic form of, of division we can think of is, you know, so seeing the division, we shouldn't be surprised that it has a racial component because that's just the most, you know, um, root chakra version of it, if you will. And just to be clear, yeah, I mean, Hoffman is a, I mean, he's been, um, it's, 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 I, I think it's worth mentioning. I'm glad you mentioned it because people should know that, 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 um, that the writer of that document does have this horrific kind of uh, racialist and kind of bigoted uh, body of work. And you have to go to his website, actually. I think there's other ways to get it, but that's the one that comes up in Google. The first link is his website. And you can, and, and so I click to see what else is there, and it's just a bunch of kind of a racialized, bigoted drivel. Uh, but but I mean, they also call it other commentators. It's kind of the, the origins of synchromysticism. Uh, because it's a synchromistic document, if we could rewrite it. You know, we could rewrite it. And that's a question: Could we remove mm-hmm. from it the racialist, bigoted stuff? And and is there a, a like I mentioned earlier, the thing about the Johnson Mountain, the Kennedy Mountain, and the Ruby Way? Like, there's so much in there that you could extract from that worldview, I think, and and it would it would it would um, you know it, you know it, we should do that. We should try to do that as much as possible. You know, but we have to mention it too. Absolutely, 
I just think I think there was a political thing with with the racial stuff. And looking back on the Jones documentary, now that you mention it, you know, it clearly was political, the Obama deception. Like he, he wasn't he didn't yet turn to say, oh, I embraced Donald Trump. <laughs> but he was clearly setting the groundwork for that with the Obama deception in the sense that it was an attack on one politician just in, in that frame. Yeah. Precisely. And as I said, it's so it's 2009 is Obama deception. 2010 is Donald Trump birth certificate starts and uh, and which Jones was supportive of. Um, I think that's where their their relationship sh- sort, sort of starts. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Obama deception sort of was on Trump's radar in that way, like as a, oh, here's someone who's willing to, you know, actively um, campaign against this person. Yeah, the thing about it is it's like there's a lot of critique of Bush administration leftovers and holdovers and Obama's complicity with that. And so that's that what I found redeeming about it is that he was still basically saying the two parties are behind the curtain, really connected for some of the similar agendas. Mm-hmm. I thought that was one of the redeeming qualities. But, but we're, whereas by the time you get to the Trump support, it's like Trump is the savior, right? I mean, it's interesting. No, Did you yeah. ever see, I don't know how much you were affiliated with um, or aware of like, so uh, the Ron Paul campaign and all that during, you, you must if you're from Texas, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I was, I grew up watching Ron Paul ads for Congress because his district. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. These early ads where he was talking about, you know, legalizing marijuana, there was hit pieces you know, Ron Paul wants to legalize marijuana, you know. Um, but no, th- and that's another example. Right, now we're in 2020 and the uh, the Democratic candidate for president doesn't even believe in legalizing marijuana. This is fucking crazy. That's fucking crazy. Sorry. That's crazy. I know, no, it's <laughs> insane. I know, it's totally um, insane. Well, what's interesting, I, I thought was uh, just, you said like there were people who actually are principled. And I do have my issues with Ron Paul, but just to say, I thought the very clear point of where alex jones has flipped his script should have been so alex jones for all those years when he was anti-bush and i give him a ton of credit for being really anti-bush and and all and in the police state and all that stuff and i think he did some really great work I, i i think unfortunately jones deserves some credit in this uh it's a shame that he fucking ended up shitting in his own pool but um I don't know, and, you know, will history remember him doing more good or bad? I don't know. But so he was advocating, hey, Ron Paul is this principled guy. He knows what's up. Listen to this guy. And he did that so fucking hard. And then what happens is suddenly he goes for Trump. And did you ever see Alex Jones is interviewing Ron Paul? And he says, hey, man, I would love it if you fucking endorse Donald Trump on my radio show right now. Isn't he great? He's so great. What do you think, Ron Paul? Isn't Trump fucking well and Ron Paul's like fuck no fuck you fuck no and he's like there's this guy is a piece of shit and I've I've that was the the last sort of like I had already moved on from any Ron Paul infatuation I had and sort of he had been much more humanized in my eyes and a lot more flawed but that was like uh okay at least he's still got his fucking principles Um, yeah I appreciate it Absolutely. And that He's should have been a. Sorry. Go, sorry. Go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Yeah. I just the last I say that should have been a clear indicator to not only Jones but Jones's listeners that they had been led astray if the person that they were looking to as their moral guidepost was telling them that they were wrong. 
I, I just couldn't. I was so shocked that that wasn't that wasn't a bigger wake up call to those people. But they were already entranced by the the new shiny thing, I guess. So. Yeah, and and that goes to this the the kind of schisms in the sync community because I mean, there's got to be many of us like myself that, I mean, as soon as Jones shifted, I just fuck him, man, fuck that dude, fuck him. And Ron Paul, yeah, I'm not a worshiper of Ron Paul. I, I like to me he's really principled on a lot of issues, but he's got a little he's got a whole racial thing in his past too. I mean, you know, and he's an old man, and there's some stuff in his newsletters that he claims he didn't write, but I mean, your name's on it, man. And where they're talking about the L.A. riots and using just oh yeah, and we know kind of... we know who wrote them, and that guy that guy's still, so that's just it. Yeah, Ron Paul lost my respect when he def- basically stayed quiet for that guy, and you wouldn't name who it was, though everyone's pretty confident it was Lou Rockwell who wrote that. Yeah, Lou Rockwell. Yeah, and that's just you know it's inexcusable. I mean that's just fucking bullshit. But yeah, does Ron Paul still like I'll I'll listen to his web uh, his podcast sometimes. It's not it's not on my regular rotation, but. He'll come out on issues and and have a principled, articulated, um, you know, um, it's the same liberty and human liberty and this kind of thing. So I respect him Um, still some, you know, but let let me just I wanted to go back. uh, What was I going to say here was that. um, Yeah, so the fracturing there, I do think that there was a a kind of a fracturing that happened where this, you know, that right around the time that sync book, this is right around the same time that Donald Trump, because if I remember, there was like people that were like, like um, maybe more hardcore Antifa types and then pitted against people that were maybe sympathetic to like this kind of Trump split off or this red eye split off. And those were people that were all in that sync pool. Hey, there may even have been actors like astroturfing actors that that was part of their job, like joining a bunch of Facebook groups and you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm not, I don't have specific evidence for that, but, um, you know, I'm not even sure what I'm saying here. I'm just going to say I, I, that fracturing was clear and I, and you saw it in, a, in, in the, um, alternative scene, there were schisms and fractures. Oh, I remember there's two other things I wanted to mention. One was the whole, um, a documentary, the many documentaries about Sandy Hook, about, um, and this uh, the Boston bombing, this was happening right around this time as well, I believe, 2011, 2012. I don't remember those exact dates, but that also caused some fissures and some splitting off in the alternative because there was a, like groups that I remember I was listening to one sequent program and was it Jim Fetzner? Fetzner? Fetzer was on and debating Andres and there was like disputes. And, you know, so these guys that were like, really taking the parapolitical research quite far. And then these events that took place with Sandy Hook and the Boston bombing, that caused a lot of schisms, um, you know? And so I think that's worth examining if you're gonna like make a list, like what role was that in all of this? Um, and I forget, I'm, I'm t- I just turn it back over to you guys. There was a, there's some other things I wanted to say, but I can't remember right now. Um, kind of slowing down here. But uh, I mean, what do you think about that, Alan? What do you think about those that narrative of crisis actor, false flags, like these events? I mean, setting aside whether the events happen or not, we don't have to even go into that. But that was clearly part of the the, the discourse, the collective discourse, and that got injected in around the same time. Oh, sure, and I mean, I don't. Okay, so. 
this is I can only answer this as a maybe a little bit of a too much of a generalization, but to say that for me, I can't remove from that the idea of like, you know, there was a concentrated 9-11 truth movement. And then as we saw this division of like no planes or, you know, was it nanothermite? Was it uh, Judy Wood? You know, laser beams? Was it like as the, let's say the, the, the science was disputed and that there was like the fracturing of those theories, it lost the momentum in the sense of like, well, now suddenly we can't agree. And that really, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, obviously there should be a diversity and a, a, a marketplace of ideas and all that sort of stuff. But it does seem that if you are, you know, we, we do know that certain things are infiltrated. We know that the, the information security state has spent a lot of money. I mean, God, there was a fucking thing. What year was it? That was under Bush, 2007, maybe, that they hired all those people to basically go on Facebook and, like, say, th- you know, um, this idea of steering social consciousness through controlling these narratives what we would now like we, we got all butthurt over a quote-unquote russian bots but like our government has been doing that on the record since around 2007 uh i have to assume that a lot of that like distinction of it's not real and and, and i want to be respectful in the sense of like you like hey i'm not sure if there isn't it it's i'm kind of seeing that same thing it's like oh I think this, I think coronavirus is a little more, it's such an immediate response that everyone's fractured is sort of, it's like everyone's going to their knee jerk reactions. If you were anti 5G before coronavirus, you're really against 5G after, right? Um, so in some of those things make sense and those fracturing is already in place. Maybe it's just highlighted the, the little cracks in the seams are highlighted in these extreme moments. But there's something to me, I always felt that Sandy Hook time was a... And and I I don't really have an opinion on Sandy Hook. I just mean I noticed the same I could say a trajectory I noticed around that time was really an effort to splinter these conspiracy groups um, into different like sects, if you will, little hardcore niches that like you dig your heels in here and you say, no, if you don't believe that Sandy Hook is real, then I will not agree. You know, there was I don't know if you sure you saw this with the 9-11 stuff. There would be 9-11 forums and they're like no 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 planes content is allowed here or whatever right like we just won't even allow it because that's hurting our um i don't know like our credibility um so then you have these like oh well we're fringe and then like where those things keep splintering and splintering and splintering and that's where i think the trump victory really comes in is because everything is so splintered and it became very clear that you couldn't say things not only was there a a mainstream media and an alternative media but then there was a control of the narrative of the alternative media and i think probably again well-intentioned of like hey let's stay focused here let's get the people who did 9-11 let's let's keep our activism going um 
But they were able to spin that narrative and say, like, see, even these guys won't let you say the truth. You know, that like their uh, Hitler was great, <laughs> you know, or whatever they, their truth of the moment was. Uh, and by saying that sort of reverse psychology of saying, like, the, you're, not, you're not allowed to say this. And if you're not allowed to say it, then it must be true. I think a lot of that happened around that time. A lot of that splintering was just really, really uh, fomented in, in, that, in that moment. Um, that's what comes up for me around Sandy Hook was I, I really remember it being a sort of like just seeing, seeing the splintering going deeper and uh, being, being somewhat saddened by that reality. And there was also just to throw in a lot of sync work that was done around like both Sandy Hook and the Tucson shooting, like uh, pure sync work. Like, let's just look at this from a synchronistic perspective, not even a conspiracy perspective. And that's what I found like so fascinating about those events, because it was like full of synchronicity. You know, the, the, the dark night rises and, um, you know, just on and on and on this. Uh, I, I felt like there was a lot of blog posts that were coming out around that time. And um, so that was still when, like, the sync world, we like, you were allowed to talk about that openly in the sync world without being, you know, excluded, you know. Um, and the sync world's a tiny world, but, I mean, you could write a blog post and no one was going to say, you know, you don't care about little kids because you talked about Sandy Hook being in the Dark Knight Rises map and, you know, the def, uh, you know, you know I think, uh, I hope you get what I'm saying here. I mean, I just think that at a certain point it got so fractured that, yeah, these verboten topics, um, you know, it's almost like they prevented this, what we were talking about earlier, this like idea exchange that the technology allows. Like, and maybe that's good. There might be some good, like, just to give people pause. Like, okay, let me just think about what I'm saying, how I'm saying this. Let me clarify my ideas. Maybe there's some something good in that. Um, I'm I'm for the free free flow of ideas completely, Alan. Too, just to be clear. But I mean, you know, um, there it is. Okay. Um, so just for what it's worth, I'm dropping into the chat here. I, on this, comp I, I I have the full version on a, a hard copy, but on this computer, all I have is just this one, one photograph. This isn't early sort of draft of the timeline document that I was talking about. So it's, it's not very filled out or anything, but um, if you're interested in looking at that, some of those uh, dates and, and if you think of anything that should be added to that, like Sandy Hook is a great, great example. Um, if you think of anything, I said, I do have a much more com fleshed out version of this, but if anything jumps to mind, I'd be I'd appreciate any input. And that, that goes for all you guys. I'm sorry. It's Sorry, on the flat earth thing. I mean, that I, I think instantly of that too. Because that mm, came Yeah, up. oh God. Flat earth was. And I don't know when that was on the timeline. I feel like that was a little later, like maybe 2016. Flat earth was 2015. That is on my timeline. I don't know if it's it on is, the one okay. I sent you, but flat earth starts 2015. Okay, there it is. Flat earth trend. It's the last thing on the bottom there. Flat earth trend. Um, and yeah, that comes out. The other thing I was thinking about this, this researcher, Dave McGowan who I feel like is a real gem. I mean, I, I go back and I'll listen to his interviews sometimes just to calm down because and that guy, the writing was so high quality too. There's something about a good writer. That if you know how to write, it's just like, I just want to read your books. I don't even care what you say. And his writing is like impeccable, man. That dude knew how to write. 
Um, but I feel like McGowan is really important in all of this. And, and you start talking about like astroturf and, and um, astroturfing and um, uh, COINTELPRO style, you know, intelligence operations and double agents and uh, disinformation and misinformation. I mean, we all know that's happening. And, you know, that guy, I, I think it's that point you make is it's just very valuable to keep in mind and not to accuse everybody. Oh, you're a shill, you're a shill, you're a shill. Like, but just to say, all right, there are agendas. People aren't who you think they are probably, you know, and just to keep that, wear that loosely, you know what I'm saying? Try but that was a magic moment when all of a sudden everyone was accusing everyone else of being a shill in the timeline. <laughs> When was that? Oh, yeah, that was magic. That's how I describe it. <laughs> magic. And you guys, and Doug, do you mean Sandy Hook or something else? No, I'm talking about like, uh, like, it's just, you know, this, this researcher questions this researcher because it's like, how could you do this, this research without being funded by the NSA? You have to be a shill. Uh, yeah. I mean, I accused Will of being an FBI for years. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> but so I wanted to say about 2012, too, Alan, though, um, definitely my own personal history coming out of the, like, the sinkhole Winnipeg community before that, um, I experienced 2012 through their lens, where the way Jake and Jim really professed it, that 2012 was the sink rapture. And for them, the way they articulated it, it really felt like a literal rapture that, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it's funny because after going through it, I felt that it was, you know, they were figuratively true that there was this strange sink rapture that we went through that was difficult to, to talk about, but it wasn't like a physical rapture. And that was what I always got from them is that, you know, they were talking about a literal sync rapture where we're going to shoot out of our bodies and be spirit energy afterwards. And that definitely didn't happen. But, you know, I thought that whatever truth they were trying to convey in that um, concreteness, I felt like there was there was a truth that actually did occur. It's just you couldn't point to it on a physical level and say, oh, yes, the sink rapture happened. So that was my well, experience in 2012. You'd be a shill. <laughs> I was not a shill, okay? You still but, are a shill. But when they asked what was the sink book agenda, you know, I would always say our agenda, SJ, was always to make money. So much money. <laughs> that was always the goal of the sync meetings. All right, how are we going to make some money? Uh, we are, yeah. Well, uh, you're saying, I, so I'm I, sorry, I missed just a second of that. That last little thought there was, that, were you saying that this was the distinction between the Katzian movement and the sync book movement? No, that didn't have anything to do with the two things didn't really. Okay. I mean, except in the sync sense. 
I mean, that was our joke that we should start a religion so we could make money. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. God, uh, every now and then I'm just like, man, I was dumb. <laughs> it's like, again, when you see how like these people can be fucking crazy, say, to- think, I'm always like, I don't want to be that guy who says, this is the answer, and then turn out to be wrong and be like, well, I would just, I, can't, I couldn't stand to be wrong that often. And these other people are just totally unabashedly like, I'll say whatever the fuck you, uh, comes to mind, and if it ain't true tomorrow, well, I don't care. Um, it really fucks me up. <laughs> so, while we've been ahead. talking, I just shaved and then got out the clippers and tried to clip some of my hair. And it looks really, really bad. This is really funny how you need to be skilled to use one of the things, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's like really close here and then really long there. Yeah. Talking about race relations makes you want to shave your head? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess so, Alan. Well... Now we know who the real Nazi is. I I think I want to just say here, I I, I mean, do you guys agree that the the COVID-19 event, let's just call it that, or whatever this is, I mean, to me, this does feel like a magnitude, like just tracing the history of these movements and like the thoughts and everything. I do feel like that whatever this is, is on a magnitude significantly greater than anything we've seen even 9-11, in terms of the sustained length of it, the global nature of it, the kind of just the intensity of it. Um, I mean, do you guys, would you say, I mean, just to compare it, I mean, and we're still in it. That's the thing. That's part of why I say that. It's like, this is nowhere near over. This could be the opening innings. Of oh, yeah. This is just the, this is the the explosion the question of what comes out of this is that's the concern right so it's like well do we does reopening america mean okay things go back to as they were or it's like no one's giving up the authorities they just took in the last two months right like that's not going away um i think what's scaring people is that even if they wanted to go back to the way things were before i don't know that we can i think that is going to take a pretty good chunk of time to get, if that's the goal, to get back. Sure. And and I think, Doug, you and I probably are in agreement that like, that doesn't, isn't necessarily that we want, I mean, probably everyone is like, well, I don't necessarily want it to go back the way it was, where we're, so we're just, you know, well, all right, we didn't die of coronavirus, we'll just go back to ignoring all the ills of a global corporate police state and destroying the environment and Right back to normal. Never mind. <laughs> you know, like that's not a great idea either. But yeah, I think I think this is we're in the explosion. God only knows what the fucking ripples are, man. Well, and that's like the McKenna. Like that's where I think about 2012. I was looking at um, his Instagram today, and um, I was just scrolling through to see the Terrence McKenna official. It was suggested to me as someone to follow. And they published an old High Times article with McKenna. I guess he had a real um, moment in the sun in the late 90s. That's when he was on Art Bell. That's when I, I first heard him on Art Bell. But I wasn't a big McKenna head until later, until the period you talk about, um, Alan, when he came back 
right before 2012. But that article in High Times on his Instagram, they published that chart that he had of time wave zero. And time wave zero, I mean, just thinking about the concept of it, like all of human history, he's going back to like hundreds of thousands of years before the present. And, and he's got charted it all. But that, that moment, 2012, was the moment, you know, where it was all different, where it all came to a head. And, you know, I think that this moment, this moment that we're in, it just feels it's either I'm not saying it's that uh, severe because that's a pretty big deal, like 300,000 years. This is the most, you know, but it definitely can tie if we think historically, what's the thing we would tie it to? I think World War Two. And, and I say that because the length of of how of, of what it, how long World War Two and the series of events are related to that took to um, run their course and then how different the world was like uh, geopolitically economically in the wake of world war ii totally radically different world and so that's what it feels like to me that like this could be an ongoing thing for like maybe a couple of years two three four five years and it might trigger other big events that are unrelated to covid you know and i'm thinking economic we're already seeing like supply chains disrupted you know, there's going to be revolts in these countries. So is, any, is anyone on the anyone here concerned about like, you know, like the, the whole potential war with China angle? Um, again, seeing corporations pull out of China, is that just the breakdown of the globalism or is that like a further splintering of these global alliances and things like that? Like so Trump's been threatening Venezuela and Iran again in the middle of this fucking coronavirus thing. He's like, hey, we're. We're going to the moon, and we're going to attack these two countries, and fuck China. You know what? Does anyone feel like that is a similar sort of setting the chessboard? Or yeah, that's why I say the opening innings. Like I feel like that would be like the middle innings, like an event like that. You know, and you already see it in the news. They're already saying Cold War is here. And I'm, I mean, I was, I left China. I can't go back. I was basically kicked out of China. And, you know, there's no way I can go back. And I don't even want to go back because when I lived there, I was already on edge when it was like the old China, which you basically were at any time. I was, you know, I had to go get like blood drawn when I got there, which I guess is somewhat reasonable. But I'm I don't like the medical industrial complex. I was like, all right, you want to test me, whatever you want to do, x-rays to test me. That's just part of their visa policy. But if I were to go back, it's like that could happen at any time. They could just pull me out, take blood. Their agents could come to my business. They're already saying that the school that I taught at, like to to go back to in-classroom teaching, everybody will have to be tested, temperature checks everywhere. Like I don't want to live in that world, you know. And so um, just to say, I think I'm really nervous about it. Um, And I talk to my students. I've been still teaching some online. And like I'd say every every two out of three students will talk and they're like, yep, we need jobs. Some of my students are messaging me on WeChat. We need jobs. My other student was like, oh yeah, my husband's business is destroyed. They're saying, he's just saying, you know, 2019, 2020, we're going to write off. And uh, my other boss was saying a lot of his friends lost their jobs during the shutdown. And so I think there's going to be a need for the governments to pivot this economic malaise how are they going to handle that? You know, what's the easiest way to handle like a crushing economic malaise domestically? You know, if you're America, you print trillions of dollars and hope you don't trigger hyperinflation or or you you have an external enemy. Right. That's Real precisely. Mm-hmm. 
you blame that on somebody. And then when they say, hey, you've destroyed the dollar and we don't want to use it as our reserve currency anymore, you can say that's a war move or... And it's it just to say that the, like I don't uh, I don't want to well, dwell there in that, in that in those fears, but it's it's a real concern. Yeah, I, I was thinking it could just be a cold, right? Let's hope it's cold because you can get so much out of a cold war, like they did for all that time after World War II. But like the Trump ad, he's blaming Biden for loving China. Did you see that? And then Biden came out with an ad <laughs> blaming Trump for loving China. So like they're both using this anti-China narrative. Like, that's what scares me. There's no one saying, well, China's, let's make peace with the Chinese, you know, let's. Mm-hmm. let's that's why I said everything's ratcheted to the right, because in both of those narratives, the enemy and that they are no unabashedly being like communist China, even though you, you and I all know like that's not real. These are, these are, these are poor labels. Um, but again, it, it's, it's a ratcheting to the right because you can't, again, your whole Bernie Sanders of like socialism, you, you've just made that totally enemy. Well, the, you know, it was already like Trump was in with the Russians. Now it can be Biden's in with China, but either way, you're still sort of creating again, that cold war paranoia and this sort of political right wing emphasis of of like, you don't want to be like those guys, right? You don't want to be socialist. You don't want to be this. Um, the, the the propaganda seems fairly clear on that and I'm not saying these are accurate um, these are equitable things in my mind I'm saying that's how the, the narrative is yeah absolutely and, but so this is just to kind of bring it back to a little higher level this is the question I'm most interested in now this is why I'm glad we can talk hopefully keep talking because it's such a dynamic unfolding elongated like crisis that you know, uh, my and I don't want to focus on fear either, but my fear is that like this could get even more strange, you know, like this could get even more like wild and strange before we're done with all this. And I mean, things like I already can't leave. I mean, I can I could get on a plane if I wanted to and and fly from here to America. There's special flights that you have to coordinate with the embassy. I don't want to go back to America, but, you know, um, like I need open borders for my functionality. Like I want to be able to, I like Georgia, don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's like, I want to, I'm trying to get to like some places that are, that are better, maybe a better fit culturally. And um, so that's a direct impact on my life, you know, and the, the, the food shortages they're saying, I don't know. How, that's a good question. How are you guys, are your grocery stores stocked? I mean, do you have all the food and all the products that you are used to getting or are used to, or is anything disappearing? 